The Hamlet Podcast, episode 139. Hello and welcome to this exploration of Shakespeare's Hamlet with me, your host, Connor Hanretty. As things stand in this scene, Claudius is working hard to convince Laertes that they are on the same side. The king has made the point that Hamlet tried to kill him, and that the only reason he hasn't arrested the prince is that he's too popular, and that the queen loves him too much. The king has just completed a rather tangled speech, all about arrows and weapons and wind and noise and that spring that turneth wood to stone. He's rambling or distracting Laertes, insisting that they should be friends. The younger man gets right back to the point. And so have I a noble father lost, a sister driven into desperate terms, whose worth, if praises may go back again, stood challenger on mount of all the age for her perfections. But my revenge will come. Laertes isn't messing. He is very focused on the wrongs he's suffered. He has lost his noble father, and his sister has been driven into desperate terms. That's quite a euphemism for poor Ophelia. Laertes gives us a sense of how special his sister is, or was, before it all went wrong for them. Her worth, he says, stood challenger on mount of all the age for her perfections. In other words, what was perfect about her made her an example, someone who could compete with the best of them of all her contemporaries. The 1980s edition of the play from the Arden Shakespeare has a brilliant footnote for this, describing a ritual wherein the King of Hungary would stand on top of a mountain and brandish his sword, defying any challenger to his authority from the four corners of the world. Even better, the footnote says, there is no need to suspect an allusion to the ceremony, but this gives the idea. Alas, for Ophelia, it's all in the past tense. Laertes has to qualify the compliment by saying, if praises may go back again, if compliments still apply to the way she was before all this. For anyone as interested in scanning the metre as I am, there's a very good example of a sejura here, a break in the middle of a line of verse. Laertes changes tack as he completes the line after this little pause. But my revenge will come. He has come back from Paris to mourn his father, but he's clearly being groomed, by Shakespeare rather than by Claudius, as a necessary opponent for Hamlet. He will have his revenge, he's saying. Claudius has quite a lovely response. Break not your sleeps for that. Don't lose sleep over it, he says. I I quite like this turn of phrase, even if it's coming from our villainous king. It's so abrupt, so confident. But then again, as far as Claudius knows, Hamlet is already on a course for death. The king has sent instructions for Hamlet's execution, and he's hoping that England will do it. So as far as he's concerned, Laertes will be satisfied. Even if he hasn't been able to arrest and try Hamlet with any kind of public or due process, he hasn't let it go unchecked. Break not your sleeps for that. You must not think that we are made of stuff so flat and dull that we can let our beard be shook with danger and think it pastime. You shortly shall hear more. So the king is saying, don't lose sleep over getting your revenge. You must not think that I'm so flat and dull, perhaps unfeeling or useless or like a dull blade, unlikely to be any use in a fight. 
Claudius isn't at all like that. He wouldn't let his beard be shook with danger and think it pastime. This is another image we've had before. Back in Hamlet's second soliloquy, Oh, what a rogue and peasant slave am I, he asks, Who calls me villain, breaks my pate across, plucks off my beard and blows it in my face? These were all provocations. Likewise here, Claudius says that he's not about to suffer the provocation of having his beard shook. Beards were obviously not to be messed with at the time. One of the most famous uses of the phrase, or anything like it, was Sir Francis Drake singeing the King of Spain's beard. This was a series of military provocations, summed up by the famous seafarer as this physical attack on the king's face. Of course, that king eventually retaliated, sending his armada against England and Elizabeth. Likewise, Claudius has also responded, and, rather like the King of Spain, his attempt to make his move at sea has backfired, even if Claudius doesn't know this yet. He's not about to allow all this effrontery from Hamlet to go unpunished, lest anyone suggest he think it pastime, or just something casual. He knows that this is serious. He assures Laertes, you shortly shall hear more. There's more to tell him, and it almost sounds quite ominous. But first, a little more groundwork to ensure that if he does tell Laertes that he's had Hamlet murdered, the young man won't spill the beans. So he lays it on a little thick. I loved your father, and we love ourselves, and that, I hope, will teach you to imagine... He's insisting that he cared sincerely for Polonius, and he's serious about protecting his own person. I loved your father, and we love ourself. There's almost a kind of intimacy here. He speaks in the first person, and the royal we, within the same line. And then he flips back to I straight away to say, and that, I hope, will teach you to imagine. His love for Polonius, and his care for his own person, will hopefully help Laertes to understand why dot dot dot, except we don't quite get to hear where he's going with that, because a messenger enters. The king turns to him and asks, how now, what news? The messenger's response is fairly straightforward. Letters, my lord, from Hamlet, this to your majesty, this to the queen. Now, we've already heard that Hamlet was sending these, and we saw Horatio getting them organised. This messenger probably isn't the pirate from the previous scene, and in fact, the tradition was, for quite a while, for this role to be played by the actor who played Bernardo. If nothing else, it gives him something to do between Act 1 and the curtain call. We know it's coming, but Claudius doesn't. He thought Hamlet would probably be dead by now, and instead he's seeing multiple letters arriving from him. So he's shocked. From Hamlet? Who brought them? Not much explanation needed, but we can imagine whoever brought these letters is going to be in trouble. So the messenger explains, Sailors, my lord, they say, uh, I saw them not. They were given me by Claudio. He received them of him that brought them. Whether it's Bernardo or not, it's someone well used to the operations in this court. So he gives enough information that you don't seem cheeky, but not specific enough to get anyone into trouble. This messenger also causes a little bit of trouble for us reading the play. He mentions someone called Claudio, this link in the chain that got this letter from Hamlet all the way to the king. But why would Shakespeare have called the character Claudio? 
particularly if he's already called the king Claudius. Who knows? There are Claudios in Measure for Measure and Much Ado About Nothing, and it's a reasonably common Italian first name. As for the naming of the king, all the way back in episode 10 of the podcast, we had a mention of the king's name. Within the text of the play, nobody ever calls him Claudius. There's one stage direction that calls him Claudius, and that's it. No character ever says the name. We can maybe imagine that there's a nod to the Roman Emperor Claudius, who had made an incestuous marriage and got in the way of his nephew becoming the ruler. That nephew was Nero, and we do have an occasional nod to him in the play, but there's no real invitation to equate King Claudius with his Roman predecessor. Maybe it's Shakespeare having a little lapse that he uses the name Claudio here. Or maybe it could just be funny. The messenger is on the spot, trying to cover his tracks, and he uses a version of the first name that pops into his head, the man standing in front of him. Uh, They were given me by... uh, Claudio. Who knows? Whatever is going on, the king is rattled. His plan has not worked at all, and Hamlet tiresomely, is still alive. Claudius is obviously eager to hear what Hamlet might have to say for himself, so he dismisses the messenger, but is happy for Laertes to hear the contents of the letter, and says so. Laertes, you shall hear them. Leave us. And so the messenger exits, and we will hear what's in Hamlet's letter in the next episode. As ever, thank you for tuning in and do be sure to visit the website, thehamletpodcast.com for show notes for this and for all episodes and indeed while you're there you could revisit episode 10 if you're so inclined and you'll also find details of all the extras I've put together over the past few months. This week marks the halfway point of our book club. We've already read half of the plays collected in the first folio. Things are only getting started, of course. There's still a wide variety of treasures to explore, so feel free to check the website and get involved. In the meantime, stay safe, mind yourself, and I'll speak to you next time.